Chapter Twenty Eight of Therese Raquin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Therese Raquin by Emile Zola, translated by Ernest Alfred Vizetelli. Chapter Twenty Eight. For two months, Therese and Laurent had been struggling in the anguish of their union one suffered through the other then hatred slowly gained them and they ended by casting angry glances at one another full of secret menace hatred was forced to come they had loved like brutes with hot passion entirely sanguineous then amidst the enervation of their crime their love had turned to fright and their kisses had produced a sort of physical terror at present Amid the suffering which marriage, which life in common, imposed on them, they revolted and flew into anger. It was a bitter hatred, with terrible outbursts. They felt they were in the way of one another, and both inwardly said that they would lead a tranquil existence were they not always face to face. When in presence of each other, it seemed as if an enormous weight were stifling them, and they would have liked to remove this weight, to destroy it. Their lips were pinched, Thoughts of violence passed in their clear eyes, and a craving beset them to devour one another. In reality, one single thought tormented them. They were irritated at their crime, and in despair at having forever troubled their lives. Hence all their anger and hatred. They felt the evil incurable, that they would suffer for the murder of Camille until death, and this idea of perpetual suffering exasperated them. Not knowing whom to strike, they turned in hatred on one another. They would not openly admit that their marriage was the final punishment of the murder. They refused to listen to the inner voice that shouted out the truth to them, displaying the story of their life before their eyes. And yet, in the fits of rage that bestirred them, they both saw clearly to the bottom of their anger. They were aware it was the furious impulse of their egotistic nature that had urged them to murder in order to satisfy their desire and that they had only found an assassination an afflicted and intolerable existence they recollected the past they knew that their mistaken hopes of lust and peaceful happiness had alone brought them to remorse had they been able to embrace one another in peace and live in joy they would not have mourned camille they would have fattened on their crime but their bodies had rebelled refusing marriage and they inquired of themselves in terror where horror and disgust would lead them they only perceived a future that would be horrible in pain, with a sinister and violent end. Then, like two enemies bound together, and who were making violent efforts to release themselves from this forced embrace, they strained their muscles and nerves, stiffening their limbs without succeeding in releasing themselves. At last understanding that they would never be able to escape from their clasp, irritated by the cords cutting into their flesh, disgusted at their contact, feeling their discomfort increase at every moment, forgetful and unable to bear their bonds a moment longer, they addressed outrageous reproaches at one another, in the hope of suffering loss, of addressing the wounds they inflicted on themselves, by cursing and deafening each other with their shouts and accusations. A quarrel broke out every evening it looked as though the murderers sought opportunities to become exasperated so as to relax their rigid nerves they watched one another sounded one another with glances examined the wounds of one another discovering the raw parts and taking keen pleasure in causing each other to yell in pain 
they lived in constant irritation weary of themselves unable to support a word a gesture or a look without suffering and frenzy both their beings were prepared for violence the least display of impatience the most ordinary contrariety in their disordered organism and all at once took the form of brutality a mere nothing raised a storm that lasted until the morrow a plate too warm an open window a denial a simple observation sufficed to drive them into regular fits of madness in the course of the discussion they never failed to bring up the subject of the drowned man from sentence to sentence they came to mutual reproaches about this drowning business at st owen casting the crime in the face of one another they grew excited to the pitch of fury until one felt like murdering the other then ensued atrocious scenes of choking blows abominable cries shameless brutalities as a rule therese and laurent became exasperated in this manner after the evening meal they shut themselves up in the dining-room so that the sound of their despair should not be heard there they could devour one another at ease at the end of this damp apartment of this sort of vault light of the yellow beams of the lamp the tone of their voices took harrowing sharpness amidst the silence and tranquillity of the atmosphere and they did not cease until exhausted with fatigue then only could they go and enjoy a few hours rest their quarrels became in a measure necessary to them a means of procuring a few hours rest by stupefying their nerves Madame Raquin listened. She never ceased to be there, in her armchair, her hands dangling on her knees, her head straight, her face mute. She heard everything, and not a shudder ran through her lifeless frame. Her eyes rested on the murderers with the most acute fixedness. Her martyrdom must have been atrocious. She thus learned detail by detail all the events that had preceded and followed the murder of Camille little by little her ears became polluted with an account of the filth and crimes of those whom she had called her children these quarrels of the married couple placed her in possession of the most minute circumstances connected with the murder and spread out one by one before her terrified mind all the episodes of the horrible adventure as she went deeper into this sanguinary filth she pleaded in her mind for mercy at times she fancied she was touching the bottom of the infamy and still she had to descend lower each night she learnt some new detail the frightful story continued to expand before her it seemed like being lost in an interminable dream of horror the first avowal had been brutal and crushing but she suffered more from these repeated blows from these small facts which the husband and wife allowed to escape them in their fits of anger and which lit up the crime with sinister rays once a day this mother heard the account of the murder of her son and each day this account became more horrifying more complete with detail and was shouted into her ears with greater cruelty and uproar on one occasion therese taken aback with remorse at the sight of this wan countenance with great tears slowly coursing down its cheeks pointed out her aunt to laurent beseeching him with a look to hold his tongue well what of it leave me alone exclaimed the latter in a brutal tone you know very well that she cannot give us up am i more happy than she is we have her cash i have no need to constrain myself the quarrel continued bitter and piercing and camille was killed over again neither therese nor laurent dared give way to the thoughts of pity that sometimes came over them and shut the paralyzed woman in her bedroom when they quarrelled so as to spare her the story of the crime 
they were afraid of beating one another to death if they failed to have the semi-corpse between them their pity yielded to cowardice they imposed ineffable sufferings on madame raquin because they required her presence to protect them against their hallucinations all their disputes were alike and led to the same accusations as soon as one of them accused the other of having killed this man there came a frightful shock one night at dinner laurent who sought a pretext for becoming irritable found that the water in the decanter was lukewarm he declared that tepid water made him feel sick and that he wanted it fresh i was unable to procure any ice therese answered dryly very well i will deprive myself of drinking retorted laurent this water is excellent said she it is warm and has a muddy taste he answered it's like water from the river water from the river repeated therese and she burst out sobbing a juncture of ideas had just occurred in her mind why do you cry asked laurent who foresaw the answer and turned pale i cry sobbed the young woman i cry because you know why oh great god great god it was you who killed him you lie shouted the murderer vehemently confess that you lie if i threw him into the scene it was you who urged me to commit the murder i i she exclaimed yes you don't act the ignorant he replied don't compel me to force you to tell the truth i want you to confess your crime to take your share in the murder it will tranquillize and relieve me but i did not drown camille she pleaded yes you did a thousand times yes he shouted oh you feign astonishment and want of memory wait a moment i will recall your recollections rising from table he bent over the young woman and with crimson countenance yelled on her face you were on the river bank you remember and i said to you in an undertone i am going to pitch him into the water then you agreed to it you got into the boat you see that we murdered him together it is not true she answered i was crazy i don't know what i did but i never wanted to kill him you alone committed the crime these denials tortured laurent as he had said the idea of having an accomplice relieved him had he dared he would have attempted to prove to himself that all the horror of the murder fell upon therese he more than once felt inclined to beat the young woman so as to make her confess that she was the more guilty of the two he began striding up and down shouting and raving followed by the piercing eyes of madame raquin ah the wretch the wretch he stammered in a choking voice she wants to drive me mad look did you not come up to my room one evening did you not intoxicate me with your caresses to persuade me to rid you of your husband you told me when i visited you here that he displeased you that he had the order of a sickly child did i think of all this three years ago was i a rascal i was leading the peaceful existence of an upright man doing no harm to anybody i would not have killed a fly it was you who killed camille repeated therese with such desperate obstinacy that she made laurent lose his head no it was you i say it was you he retorted with a terrible burst of rage look here don't exasperate me or if you do you'll suffer for it what you wretch have you forgotten everything you who maddened me with the caresses confess that it was all a calculation in your mind that you hated camille and that you had wanted to kill him for a long time no doubt you took me as a sweetheart so as to drive me to put an end to him it is not true said she what you relate is monstrous you have no right to reproach me with my weakness towards you i can speak in regard to you as you speak of me before i knew you i was a good woman who never wronged a soul if i drove you mad it was you who made me madder still listen laurent don't let us quarrel i have too much to reproach you with what can you reproach me with 
he inquired. No, nothing, she answered. You did not save me from myself. You took advantage of my surrender. You chose to spoil my life. I forgive you all that. But, in mercy, do not accuse me of killing Camille. Keep your crime for yourself. Do not seek to make me more terrified than I am already. Laurent raised his hand to strike her in the face. Beat me, I prefer that, said she. I shall suffer less. And she advanced her head, but he restrained himself, and taking a chair, sat down beside her. Listen, he began in a voice that he endeavoured to render calm. It is cowardly to refuse to take your share in the crime. You know perfectly well that as we did the deed together, you know you are as guilty as I am. Why do you want to make my load heavier by saying you are innocent? If you were so, you would not have consented to marry me. Just recall what passed during the two years following the murder. Do you want a proof? If so, I will go and relate everything to the public prosecutor, and you will see whether we are not both condemned. They shuddered, and Therese resumed. Men may, perhaps, condemn me, but Camille knows very well that you did everything. He does not torment me at night as he does you. Camille leaves me in peace, said Laurent, pale and trembling. It is you who see him before you in your nightmares. I have heard you shout out. Don't say that, angrily exclaimed the young woman. I have never shouted out. I don't wish the spectre to appear. Oh, I understand. You want to drive it away from yourself. I am innocent. I am innocent. They looked at one another in terror, exhausted with fatigue, fearing they had evoked the corpse of the drowned man. Their quarrels invariably ended in this way. They protested their innocence. They sought to deceive themselves, so as to drive away their bad dreams. They made constant efforts, each in turn, to reject the responsibility of the crime, defending themselves as though they were before a judge and jury, and accusing one another. The strangest part of this attitude was that they did not succeed in duping themselves by their oaths. Both had a perfect recollection of all the circumstances connected with the murder, and their eyes avowed what their lips denied. Their falsehoods were puerile, their affirmations ridiculous. It was the wordy dispute of two wretches who lied for the sake of lying, without succeeding in concealing from themselves that they did so. Each took the part of accuser in turn, and although the prosecution they instituted against one another proved barren of result, they began it again every evening with cruel tenacity. They were aware that they would prove nothing, that they would not succeed in effacing the past, and still they attempted this task, still they returned to the charge, spurred on by pain and terror, vanquished in advance by overwhelming reality. The sole advantage they derived from their disputes consisted in producing a tempest of words and cries, and the riot occasioned in this manner momentarily deafened them. And all the time their anger lasted, all the time they were accusing one another, the paralyzed woman never ceased to gaze at them. Ardent joy sparkled in her eyes when Laurent raised his broad hand above the head of Therese. End of chapter 28